Welcome to the COO Roundtable, powered by PFI Advisors. Here's your host, Matt Sonnen. Welcome back, everyone. As our announcer, Luke Sonnen, so proudly declared, this is the COO Roundtable, episode four. Uh, I cheated with the first three episodes. I simply interviewed those professionals that we had highlighted in our COO white paper that we published last year. It was, uh, it was actually during those interviews that I completely geeked out and I said to my coworkers, these interviews are so cool, we need to do more of these. And they immediately said to me, well, let's do a podcast. So here we are, episode four. We're still finding our way a bit here in podcast land. So thank you all for being patient with us. We've had some incredible guests covering some, in, in my mind, some extremely important topics for the RA industry. And we've received really great feedback so far. So thank you all of our listeners for bearing with us. Um, I'm always open for feedback and suggestions on topics that you'd like to hear on future episodes or guests that you'd like us to have on. So feel free to contact me anytime. Uh, my email uh, is, is available on our website, but it's uh, msonnen at pfiadvisors.com. Um, our guests today are Stacy McKinnon of Morton Capital here in Southern California and Tom Harms of Summit Trail Advisors. Uh, Tom physically sits in their headquarters in New York City, but they have offices in Chicago and San Francisco as well. So thank you both for being here and welcome. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Matt. Good to be here. Perfect. Um, So uh, Stacy and I were introduced uh, last year, shortly after our white paper came out. Uh, One of her partners at her firm, who I'd been talking to for several years, uh, he reached out to me after reading the white paper and said, hey, if you want to meet a top-notch COO, uh, you need to meet Stacy. And we had a phone conversation in December, I believe it was, right before the holidays. And uh, I was blown away by her knowledge of the industry and some of the strategies that she has implemented at Morton Capital. And I really just, I just like the approach that she takes to her role as COO. So I immediately thought, as soon as we're done with these intro episodes, I wanted to have Stacy on. So I'm very excited to have her here to share her knowledge today. And uh, with Tom, ironically enough, um, we had our very first conversation just a few weeks ago um, when we were prepping for this podcast, but I've known of Tom for many, many years, dating back to his time at Fidelity. And PFI Advisors, we've known Summit Trail for quite a while. I've known Jack Peterson and his founding partners since before they launched the firm. And in fact, we highlighted Summit Trail in our first of two M&A white papers, declaring Summit Trail a successful buyer in the RIA space. And I know Tom's going to touch on their approach to M&A in our conversation today. Um, so let me zip it now. Uh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm stealing your thunder a bit. So I will uh, step aside. Stacy. why don't you go first? Um, could you just give us a little backstory of Morton Capital? Sure, and thank you for that intro as well. Uh, So Morton Capital was founded in 1983. We have about 36 team members and manage $1.8 billion in assets. Uh, People come to us all the time and they say, what makes Morton Capital different? We've decided that there's really three factors in our industry. One, we do a lot in the private investment space. So we kind of have a broad uh, approach to how we think about our portfolios and portfolio construction. Um, That means that we look beyond just the traditional markets for things like real estate equity or private lending and that would add value to our client portfolios. We also do pretty broad-based financial planning. So as opposed to just the investment planning and cash flow planning, because we do a lot in the private investment space, space, which means illiquidity, we also uh, do pretty deep dive estate tax and insurance planning. And, And the last one, which I think is really the most relevant to my role as COO is the way that our team is designed and orchestrated. So we've made the decision that we really want the team to be built in a way where we have groups of specialists best serving our clients. So we have advisors that help work with clients. Usually one client gets three to four advisors. And then we have teams that support the advisors. So we have an investment portfolio management team, financial planning team, and then an operations team. And my role really focuses on working within those teams to best support and train them. And I think about my job and my role as COO, and I really feel like it's to support the people, to support the team, to empower them, to lift them up. And so we actually have a saying that we, we have here. It's our purpose statement, which is to empower families to enjoy their lives. And our advisors work with our clients doing that every day. But I think about my role as COO and 
the families in that statement being our teen families. So my role is to empower our teen families to enjoy their lives, their career. That's fantastic. I mean, there's been so much talked about in terms of fee compression and how are uh, RIAs, wealth managers, going to keep their fees um, where they are? And I think that has been the answer is you need to be offering a lot of services beyond just investment management. So I think that's that's fantastic. And we'll, we'll dig deeper uh, into those those three components as, as we uh, continue our conversation today. Um, so, Tom, I've already stolen a bit of your story, but could you give us the overview of, uh, of Summit Trail? Sure, absolutely. Yeah, you just you just set the stage, Matt. Um, Summit Trail Advisors was uh, founded uh, in um, late July of 2015. Um, unusual in that uh, three uh, advisor teams uh, all broke at the same time. Um, and I think if it hadn't been for Barclays Wealth Management exiting the business, um, never really would have that catalyst. So uh, the three teams were quickly followed, I think, within 60 days with another two teams uh, from Barclays. So by the end of the year of 2015, uh, we found ourselves with, uh, with five teams, I think, as you mentioned, uh, in New York, Chicago, and San Francisco. Uh, and in uh, late 2015, uh, we had roughly uh, $2.2 billion in assets under management. Um, uh, we've now got 43 uh, employees across uh, those branches. We do have a satellite in Boston, uh, and in DC. Um, and historically over the past three years, uh, we've largely grown or- organically. Uh, we're just pulling the ADV, uh, figures together now, but, uh, we're going to be north of 6 billion. And most of that has been organic. We did acquire one team in 2017. Um, and that added, I think roughly 500 million, but, um, our uh, growth vision for the future is clearly more acquisition. Um, we've got a stated goal of uh, actually, you know, uh, establishing you know real estate footprints in, in any market where uh, there is an advisor or an advisor team that makes sense. And you know, I think that's first largely determined by the types of clients. Um, and our ideal client is. Uh, individual with hopefully 25 million uh, to of liquid uh, investments that uh, we could then you know deploy across our uh, model um, and we are a manager of manager shop and I think much like uh, uh, Morton um, a, a large component of private investments so without having you know 20 25 million of investable uh, funds it's really hard to kind of fully deploy the the asset allocation model. Um, so um, you know, we've spent probably the past three years ensuring that all uh, now six teams uh, are following kind of the same regimen and, and consistently adhering to uh, uh, to our uh, policies and procedures. So, um, you know, I think as we continue to grow, we see that as probably being one of our top challenges. It's it you know obviously PFI we we do a lot of uh, work with breakaway teams and it's your your guys' story is so amazing because we always tell breakaways look spend the first six months just focused on your existing clients you just need to get them moved over get the billing set up get some revenue for the firm get your feet under you then around that six month mark you can take one deep breath and now you should go after new clients and sort of feel what that's like. You're now presenting yourself as an RIA as opposed to a captive uh, advisor at a, at a larger firm. So just sort of feel how that is. And then, I don't know, somewhere in year two, maybe look to make your first acquisition. You guys made two acquisitions in the first two months <laughs> of, of, uh, of being an RIA. It's, it's, just, it's just incredible the, uh, what you guys have been able to accomplish. So uh, in terms of your roles Indeed. as... Yeah, exactly, Tom. Um, in terms of the two of you, how you approach your role as COO, you've taken different paths to get here today. So um, I'll start with Stacy. Could you give us a bit of your background story and how it shaped the way you approach your role as COO at Morton Capital? Sure. I'll share a little bit of, kind of Lon Morton's story, too, and how he founded the company. So before we were founded, he was an insurance salesman. He was going door to door selling insurance and he ran across a potential client who someone had just actually left his door who was trying to sell him a CD. This was in the late seventies when that was still attractive. Um, And he, he basically gave Lon the 
uh, prospectus and said, which one should I do, the CD or the insurance that you're selling? Juan looked at it and he said, you know what, you really should go with the CD. It's a way better, way better option for you. And that was the moment that he realized that really he wanted to be compensated for his advice, not for just selling a product. So that was how our company was formed. It was formed on looking at the world a little differently, thinking about what do you give to your clients and how can it be done better and maybe in even a more authentic way. So fast forward, it ties into my story eventually. In 2006, he sold to Union Bank. He had cancer, recovered, and by 2013, he decided he no longer wanted to be with the bank. And so he decided when he bought himself back, he wanted to have a succession plan of strong people who could continue living that legacy, continue with really how do we act in the client's best interest. And if I get cancer again, you know, what is going to occur and how can I still have a successful company. At that time, we had, I think, over 800 clients. So his uh, next generation of leadership that he decided on, one of them, our co-CEO, Megan Pinchuk, was actually a client of mine at a fitness studio nearby. And she had been a client for a year or so. And she came up to me after class one day and said, I love the way that the studio is run. I'm looking for good people. We just bought ourselves back from the bank. Will you join me? Um, at first, I didn't know if I wanted to trade uh, fitness and flexible lifestyle for <laughs> being behind a desk, but I think I didn't know that much about the finance industry, and since then, I've obviously realized that there's so much more to what we do besides data and numbers. So I joined Morton Capital in 2014. Um, prior to being in the fitness industry, my background is actually in wedding and event planning. So the way I approached my role at Morton Capital was almost through that lens. While I wasn't necessarily coordinating photographers and caterers anymore, I was definitely coordinating how do all of our teams work together? How can they function in the best possible way? And how can we make this firm go from mom and pop, because at that time there were only 18 employees, to truly institutionalized, which is where we are now. So I've tried to incorporate as much as my planning and coordination skills as possible into the business and the industry. I think we've been really successful on creating those teams that I mentioned before. Um, and the second component of it is, I did realize actually early on, and this is maybe a mistake that I had made, was that if you coordinate and put everything in its place, that doesn't necessarily make the best possible team. So I've been doing a lot of research over the last few years on, okay, what makes really good teams? How do people feel fulfilled at work? How do they feel empowered? And I read this quote one time that said, you don't build a business, you build people, and people build the business. And so, that's the approach that I've taken to my role as COO is this mixture of the wedding coordinator in me and the one that really focuses on the people, because if we prioritize our people, um, our clients are going to be so well taken care of. That's incredible. I, I Obviously, I think most people would say, well, I never would have thought those two go hand in hand, but that really is a lot of the COO role is you just need to be the glue that's listening to all these independent what feels like very independent decisions being made and you need to be the one saying, wait, wait, if you're going to make that decision over here, it's going to affect three things over here that I, it actually makes perfect sense. <laughs> I never would have thought of it, but that, that make the, 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 the coordinator that, that really is the, um, the role of the COO. So I, that's, that's fantastic. I love it. Um, so Tom, uh, how do you leverage your background to tackle the day-to-day -day responsibilities that you have as COO? You know, I, I had one answer, but you know, Stacy's, uh, was was so impressive. I mean, it just it just really reminds me of kind of uh, of the way I've always thought about it. Is uh, it's a live television show, uh, and you know what the client sees is you know the end product. Uh, you know what comes out on on the screen or on the stage, if you will. And and uh, you know I think a COO's role is to ensure that it all you know that that picture is the best it can be, and that you know the actors and the and the technicians are all, you know, doing exactly what, you know, they need to be doing and feeling fulfilled, et cetera. So uh, I don't think, you know, Stacey is much difference between that and, and you know, and, and a wedding planner in terms of making sure that the event, which is live, once it kicks off and all that planning and preparation, I mean, has to pay off because it's, it's what, you know, the experience at the end of the day. So, um, uh, but Matt, I think, uh, um, you, what became very apparent after Summit Trail was launched and after Jack Peterson, the uh, the managing partner, had six months of uh, playing uh, not only CEO but COO, 
um, you know, I think it became very apparent that Summit Trail Advisors, which had really been built with uh, dedicated professionals, Jack had run private wealth for both Lehman and, uh, and Barclays, uh, David Romhilt, our um, chief investment officer, uh, had uh, done manager research um, at Barclays. Uh, our head of operations, uh, Okeonya Bucci, had uh, run operations or uh, uh, alternative uh, uh, alternatives operations at Barclays. So we had all these individuals who, uh, you know, had years of experience in in dedicated roles. Uh, what we didn't have was a, a COO uh, slash CCO uh, who had um, you know day to day experience with. Uh, branch management, branch risk. And so um, I, as you, as you pointed out, had been, um, uh, after 25 years at Morgan Stanley and branch risk, um, joined Fidelity, where uh, I'd been consulting uh, with very large advisors on, on risk management and compliance. And you know, I think, as you and I discussed, I was really anxious to get back uh, on the other side of the table and actually uh, be responsible for running a business and not just consulting, which just is, is not as is fulfilling. So, um, I, um, you know, I, I brought to the table here at Summit Trail my experience uh, in running wealth management branches from a operations administration and risk standpoint. Um, you know, around the world, uh, helped set up Morgan Stanley's Asia wealth management businesses and built out our, uh, our UK businesses. And so um, ultimately ended up as head of branch um, uh, risk uh, across Morgan Stanley, Dean, Witter, Smith, Barney, a uh, thousand branches of uh, 17,000 advisors and um, uh, learned a lot in terms of what those top risks are. And it really actually started to morph even more. So uh, spend a lot of time, um, really our top risk is cybersecurity and, and data security. So we've invested an awful lot in that. Um, but I really come in every day and feel uh, not much different than I would if I was in one of the wealth management branches of Morgan Stanley working with um, with large advisors. So um, it's great to kind of get back to that, that sense of, of being right there in the midst of the business. And I think, you know, Stacey and I were talking about that. It, it's just never a dull moment. It's always exciting. The days go very quickly. Yes. Yes. Just the sheer number of things you need to to uh, uh, keep an eye on at any given time. Um, so let's go uh, a little deeper into the the core responsibilities of a, of a COO. So in, in our white paper, our, our COO white paper that we put out last year, we had we, we narrowed it down to three main roles. Uh, one is the just the administration of the firm. So you're executing the, the company's business plan and you're upholding the firm's culture. Uh, two is the, is the one component that everybody thinks of when they think of a RIA COO. Uh, you're driving the workflow improvements. Uh, you're managing the vendor relationships and overseeing the technology stack. And then three is the, the piece that I always talk about is the human resources component. You're really in charge of recruiting, developing, uh, and retaining the employees um, as your firm is, is growing and trying to continue to provide high-touch service for an ever-increasing uh, client base. So, um, Stacy, tell us how you leverage your people to push the organization forward. Sure, and I was just thinking about those three points and how they all have to be working and working well <laughs> to be successful. Yep. You really can't let one fall through the cracks. Like I was mentioning before, my the coordinator in me just wanted to kind of come in and do the workflow piece and then really recognizing that, you know, the human resources or the culture piece was just actually probably more important than the workflow piece. So in 2017, Lon actually did end up passing away. And shortly thereafter is when I took over as COO. And myself and our other leadership, um, Megan Pinchuk and Jeff Sardi, kind of got together and we said, okay, this firm's been around for a long time. We're in transition. Our founder isn't here anymore. How do we continue his legacy, but then kind of define the team and the culture and who we want to be in the future, um, maybe in a little bit different way, in a new way, in a way that might help people be refreshed and excited. 
So did a lot of work on career pathing. I think I've read every benchmarking study that's ever existed, interviewed about 25 different firms and came up with, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's a lot. Um, came up, well, actually the result of that was that no one does anything the same <laughs> and it's all up to who you are as a team and a firm and a culture. Unfortunately, I, I wish that there was, you know, a golden ticket on that one, but it's not, not quite there. Um, so we did a lot of work around career pathing. Uh, every single position in our firm has a career path, um, including our operations team, our advisory team, um, everyone, even the people doing HR and finance. Uh, there's different levels at every position. Uh, each component of the career path um, defines what the responsibility of the position is, but then it also defines how that position can be reflected through our core values. So that's a really key component to how we've been able to run the firm and um, create a really positive culture that we have here. At, at first, when we thought of, when I thought about core values, I kind of thought that sounds a little bit corny or cheesy, and I wasn't quite sure how that would integrate into our firm and our people. But I read a book um, called Traction, which I know a lot of people know about, and it talks about the core values being a reflection of your best team members, people in your life that you really aspire to be like. And then you take those core values and you basically tell your team, this is what you need to accomplish every day, but this is how I want you to accomplish it. This is how I want you to treat our clients, how I want you to treat our people, and what I want to be embedded in our culture. And, and implementing core values in our firm has been absolutely transformative. Um, there are five E's. We have excellence, empowerment, empathy, ethical, and enjoyment. And the way that we basically express this to our team is that equal to the results of your performance is how you went about doing it. Um, I've hired to the core values. I've fired to the, the core values so far over the last year and a half. Um, I've helped people to understand how serious that I take them. Uh, and I think that that just really made the culture that much stronger because our team actually cares about being empathetic to one another when somebody has too much of a workload and they have to jump in. They know that that's important to us and that they'll be rewarded from treating each other well. They know that, and one of the things I talk about with excellence is that excellence is not my expectation of you, but your expectation of yourself. What does excellence mean to you and how can you become better in this firm and, and add value and what would make you proud when you went home every day that this is what you got to do? So I, I would say that while driving workflow improvements is where I started, I swapped back to, okay, what are our core values? How do we create an awesome culture here? And then now I'm actually back in workflow and saying, okay, we've created the culture. Everyone's accountable to each other, excited to work with one another. Let's launch these workflows. And I, I'm actually getting such better adoption from just having everyone be on the same page, same culture like excited, they all trust each other and they trust me. Um, it's making the whole entire process of integrating technology so much easier when you have that type of positivity around you. So uh, say them one more time because you rattled through them quick. The five E's. Excellence was the first one. What are the, what are the five? Sure. It's um, excellence, empowerment, empathy, ethical, and enjoyment. And there's actually a long story that goes along with those as to how they, how we came about choosing them and how meaningful they are to me. But we can save that story for another day or someone can call <laughs> me and I'll tell you about it. No, that's, that's fantastic. <laughs> and I think I'm, you know, I said it kind of as I was going through the three uh, core responsibilities, I think everybody thinks it's just about the workflow improvements, the COO role. And I think a lot of people probably uh, that, that sit in that seat come to the same conclusion you do. Oh, wait a minute. I got to uh, get the HR component right first, and then we can um, work on the technology and the workflows, et cetera. Um, I think that that's fantastic. I love those five E's. That's great. And uh, Yeah, your team has to trust you. Yep, absolutely. And uh, at your recommendation, I've started tracking. Sorry, I was saying you're – Yeah, go ahead. Adoption only comes with trust. And so your team has to trust that the leadership of the firm – is acting in their best interest, has the best of intentions, and that whatever new technology or new workflow, new process that you're implementing is going to be to everyone's best interest. And I think that's really where the core values play the, the keyest component, I guess you would say. It's just really, okay, how are we all, you have to trust that we're not just throwing new things at you, 
for the sake of it, but it's really in your best interest too. So that's, that's the one thing I would say about that. That's fantastic. And at your suggestion, I have started the book Traction. I'm only a few pages in so far, but it, it is uh, fantastic. Um, <laughs> so yes, thank you for that one. That is a, that is a great one. Um, so Tom, tell us, uh, <laughs> tell us about the structure that you've brought to summit trail in the context of these, of these three core responsibilities that we've yeah. highlighted. No, and I will be going to Amazon and getting my copy of traction <laughs> as well. Yep. Um, it's, 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 it, you know, I, again, I agree with Stacy. I mean, it, it, it's all about your people and, you know, Stacy, you know, they put it the other way and first you get the right people on the bus and then those people, you know, decide where the bus goes. Uh, and how it goes. Mm-hmm. So couldn't agree more. Um, so uh, a little, little different, Matt. Um, I spend uh, a large, I think, as I mentioned, kind of at the preamble, a large amount of time and energy on working on um, consistency. Um, you know, uh, rules of nature and physics being what they are. I mean, six different teams um you know, all started out doing things a little bit differently. And, you know, as you know, from a regulatory standpoint, um, you know, you, with a multi-branch business, you've got to demonstrate control and knowledge uh, of how you're doing things. And so um, we, uh, you know, you could call that kind of driving the workflow improvements. Um, um, and, you know, specifically, we're looking to Salesforce uh, as a means of, uh, standardizing uh, workflows and processes and being able to kind of feel comfortable that as we grow and go from six teams to eight teams to, to 10 teams that, you know, there's consistency in, in those processes and reporting from, you know, from, uh, from those processes. So um, that's, that, that takes probably 60 plus percent of, uh, of my, my time. Um, uh, you know, we uh, we do uh, have a, a position for a, a head of technology. Um, uh, it was open for a couple months, but I'm happy to say that we'll have uh, an individual joining next month. Um, so that will be an immense help. And then I think I can probably revert um, to um, you know, not so much the day-to-day administration. I think we've got it configured where um, it uh, it it is running itself, um, you know, vis-a-vis the six teams, um, you know, and I would say from a human resource standpoint, again, with the multi-branch um, paradigm, you know, Stacey, we, we go about it a little bit differently. I build trust or attempt to build trust by involving um, the employees in the actual uh, development of the technology. So uh, we have, you know, call them champions. Um, we have Salesforce champions, um, and we have, um, Adipar, our performance reporting, um, uh, power users. So we've got kind of these two core technology teams and each, um, branch has got multiple members, you know, who have an affinity towards one or the other, and they actually help define uh, our processes and, and give us the feedback as we roll out new technology. So, uh, you know, the hope is in keeping, you know, our employees involved from day one with all the requirements that they feel, you know, a sense of ownership. Um, you know, in terms of the career path, I think we've, we've struggled a little bit more. I mean, we, we, you know, we don't have the five E's yet defined that we do focus on our culture. And again, Matt, just to, you know, the difference, um, you know, with, people like Jack Peterson as, as our managing partner, you know, he's playing uh, a big kind of culture carrier. Uh, he's got a once a month brown bag lunch. Uh, you know, he'll do one-on-ones with all the employees. And so he, he feels it's important to kind of build this rapport and, you know, the sense that we're all, you know, one big team. Um, so uh, I think managed a little bit differently. I think just given our, our size and, and, and geographic footprint, but, um, yeah, most importantly for me is is to ensure that you know Summit Trails plant runs efficiently and effectively and allows the advisors to you know to do what they do best, which is work with clients and um, and help them fulfill their you know financial um, ambitions. Um, and so you know the less they have to worry about the technology, the more the technology kind of fulfills their mission and makes things easier for them, the better. So we try and 
ensure that compliance and technology are not, um, you know, business impediments, but, um, you know, through the development of, um, you know, process and technology, things that, you know, they're able to kind of, you know, deal with, um, you know, efficiently and effectively. I, I should know this and I don't. Does, does Jack have client relationships or is he just sort of, the, you're, you know, you're talking about how he's, yeah. he's focused on culture and he's really working just internally. Does he have client relationships? Yeah. Yeah. He, he has a, a, well, he's a small book. He has, um, two partners who essentially run that book. Um, and I'd say, you know, practically speaking, I think Jack gets involved with those clients, which, you know, date back to, you know, his days at Barclays, um, and probably Lehman, um, in very much the same way he, he get involved with any of our other clients and any other five advisor teams, um, in meeting with them. So, um, you know, Jack's partners are Danny McHugh and Duff Sachs, and so they're doing the day-to-day management of, of Jack's small book. Um, but, yeah, I, you know, 80% of his time, or if not more, is either recruiting, um, you know, for new M&A um, opportunities or, or networking um, or, um, you know, spending time with, um, with the rest of our employees. Got it. Perfect. Okay. Um... So you're talking about consistency, Stacy. I know you've got uh, a story of one of your first tasks was uh, working through. I think it was the custodial onboarding, and then you, as you were working through that, you found some consistency issues <laughs> uh, within the organization. Yeah. Well, I, and just one comment on what Tom had just mentioned. One of the things I think that's important for COOs to recognize too is that. People rally around CEOs. CEOs inspire a team. They lead people. They're they're generally those that, you know, you you want to become one day. And I think that it's so important, like you mentioned, that you said Jack, is a, his main role is being out there and being with the team, being with the people, being in the community. And then our role, I think, is to keep it alive <laughs> while yeah. we're behind the scenes. So I love how you said that highlighted just kind of even the difference between the CEO and the COO role. Um as far as uh, terms of structure and processes, I think I think I might have been wearing my wedding coordinator hat when this one happened. But when I first started, I looked at uh, what the firm was. There was 18 people, and the, one of the glaring things that happened was that everyone was using different fonts. I, I know that that's a, a kind of a silly way to start. Interesting to see the you know development from mom and pop to institutionalized firm, and I would encourage even anyone who wants to get into leadership roles one day just sit back and look around your firm. And even if you don't have all the knowledge or the experience, just say, what, you know, what little ways can I add value? Where are we inconsistent? How are we treating our clients differently? I mean, our meeting structure was different advisor to advisor. What reports people wanted were different advisor to advisor. And the only way to scale is to streamline some of those tasks and items. And this was before I was the COO, this was basically saying, okay, let's, let's all be on the same team together as we move forward. So worked really hard on streamlining the onboarding process, but then also just the little ways that we work with each other and providing, I guess, one brand or face outwardly as well. Yeah. I've, I've seen it a million times. One, one specific team within the, within the firm, they're prepping for a meeting with a really big prospect and they decide they want to customize one little piece of the of the presentation. And then when the advisor comes back from the meeting, he tells his team, hey, that really worked well. Let's just keep that in our standard deck for any other prospects. And so they start using that. But then they don't tell anyone else. <laughs> they don't tell anyone else at the firm that they've made that one little change. Right. And over time, it just becomes exponential. Each team is doing this um, over in longer and longer time keeps keeps passing by. And you wake up one day and you know, four teams, five teams, whatever you have at your firm, they're, they're selling completely different firms. If you didn't see the, the common logo, you would think it was a complete, you know, they have different value props that they're highlighting. Um, and it can, it can be a big, uh, problem. So it often takes the COO or sometimes it's the CCO that catches it from a, you know, reviewing of, of advertising. Um, but it takes someone with, with, uh, that professional management hat to rein everyone back in and make sure that they're all selling one common brand. So yeah, that the fonts, uh, we laugh about it, but it it, it really it, it it's it just leads to bigger and bigger problems. So that's uh, that's fantastic. 
Yeah, for sure. It leads to big training problems too, right? If you have different teams within your firm all learning a different story, and then they're out there in the community and they're telling a different story, and then you're bringing up new associate advisors and the associate advisors wondering which story do they listen to and abide by, and then all of a sudden it gets back to you at the COO desk basically saying, well, I do this for this person and that for that person, and and that's when I think the you really get stuck. So I I totally agree with you. Perfectly said. Yep. And this leads perfectly into our next topic. I mean, we have to talk M&A. It's such a big part of our industry. Um, So PFI, we, you know, we're an operations and tech firm, so we're we're slightly biased, but um, we've made the argument that uh, in order to brand yourself a successful buyer, it really is an infrastructure story that you're selling. You need to convince a seller that your firm has the people and the processes and the technology uh, that will alleviate him or her from the day-to-day burdens of running a firm. They can just go back to focusing on clients and prospects and that the firm will allow them to offer um, uh, different products, different services that they didn't have available to them at their at their previous firm. They're, they're, they're plugging into a scalable organization. And we've argued that the best person to make this presentation about the infrastructure story of the firm would be the COO. Um, yes, the the Jack Petersons of the world, the rainmaker at the organization, it's their name, it's their story that's attracting sellers to begin with, but I really do think the COO kind of walks in at the end of the meeting and really closes the, the, closes the sale. Um, so Tom, uh, what is your role within Summit Trails M&A strategy? You just summed it up, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Once again, I stole your thunder. Uh, (laughs) Sorry. uh, Yeah, well, you know, it just means great minds to think alike. Um, (laughs) You know, and and actually, uh, I started uh, even while I was at Fidelity, obviously, with my my green business card. um, um, You know, we would impress upon uh, would-be advisors, uh, you know, how great... Uh, life will be, uh, you know, in the Fidelity's um, environment. Um, and uh, actually, you know, this is even very similar to what I, what I, you know, I've done at Morgan Stanley um, as we were talking to recruits, you know, for the wirehouse. And it's really to impress upon, you know, the would-be recruit, uh, you know, the quality of life that they'll be um, enjoying, uh and, uh, you know, I think just as, as, as you pointed out, um, how efficient and effective and well-staffed um, the organization is uh, so that their, um, you know, their break will, will go well. Um, and, you know, from an operation standpoint, you know, things will be easy and understandable and there'll be people there to help them. Um, so, yeah, I normally come in uh, near the end. Um, and, uh, you know, spend 30 minutes, you know, one, you know, covering a little bit of my background and, 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 you know, the fact that I've worked with wealth advisors for 30 years, but, but also, you know, just cover what we've done here at Summit Trail, uh, in terms of our systems technology, our partners, um, uh, and the resources that we'll bring to bear to ensure that, you know, one, the transition goes successfully, but two, you know, they'll be able to, you know, grow and, and, and prosper, um, you know, through the years as they, you know, um, you know, conduct their business. Yep. We've talked a lot about advisor pitch versus client pitch and, and advisors think, well, I've spent 20 years. Um, I've been really good at bringing clients to the organization and, um, I can build trust and I can sell the investment philosophy of the firm. And then they grab that same exact presentation deck that they've been using with clients or prospects for 20 years. And they try to go show that presentation to advisors. And it's a completely different um, story. It it really is that infrastructure story. Um, And I think one of the things that you guys can really point to is the fact that you've done so many deals already um, and that there is a, a, a documented plan, onboarding plan for both the employees uh, and the clients, um, and that you have capacity to do more. A lot of advisors or a lot of firms will say to a selling advisor, how does 2022 look for uh, closing this deal? <laughs> because we have a few other transactions ahead of you and we just don't have the, the capacity. So w- one thing that you guys definitely can show is that you've done it before and that you, you have the capacity to, uh, to swallow uh, uh, other advisors. So that I think uh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, 
Stacy, what about Morton Capital's M&A plans and, and, and how are you involved in that process? Yeah, so I think that I would say that we are in the preparation phase, if you will. Mm-hmm. A lot of what Tom talked about was building the infrastructure, making sure that our firm and our team is prepared to grow in that kind of way, because I think that M&A done wrong can be incredibly disruptive and can backfire on your business and your industry and your team. And we just want to make sure that we're making the smartest possible decisions for ourselves and our our group of people. And the, I guess, where we have explored M&A so far, where my role is a little bit on, I think, the touchy-feely side. So if you're bringing on a brand new firm and you're bringing on X number of clients, how is that going to feel to the clients? How, what's the story that they're going to be told? When that advisor comes in or team of advisors come in, what team members do I have on staff that are going to be solely dedicated to the onboarding process? The last advisor we brought in in 2015, I had a co-advisor and associate advisor that I dedicated fully for six months just to onboarding that new advisor and gave their responsibilities them throughout the rest of the team. Um, I want to, we want to make sure that anyone new that comes on board, that they have the tools and resources they need to be successful and that that transition doesn't feel as much like a burden as an exciting opportunity for our firm to grow. So I, I, I tend to play more of the role of how is this going to feel? How is this going to look after the deal is done? What is this actually going to mean to not only the new people coming in but, and the clients, but also our team internally? Perfect. Yeah, it's it's um, it's so important to explain to the advisor what their role within the culture uh, and within the, the the new organization. One plus one, you, you're creating a third firm now, um, and and what is their where are they going to fit in? So I think that's I think that's fantastic. Um, switching gears a little bit. So uh, we've talked on previous podcasts that the COO role can be a bit lonely. <laughs> um, and I'm always curious to learn where COOs are turning to get uh, peer support and to just learn uh, the, the best practices that others are using. Um, so Tom, where do you turn uh, with your business pain points or recommendations on best practices that you're looking for? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a community. Uh, and I think that was, you know, one of the, the first realizations. And although, you know, Summit Trail has grown quickly, um, you know, our uh, uh, ability to um, to take on headcount has been measured. So we're very careful um, and, uh, you know, you call it step variable. So our um, resources are largely through consultants. Um, so I'm either, you know, bringing in consultants to help with the, you know, documenting all of our policies and procedures, um, or uh, helping run it, our, our um, IT governance program. Um, you know, obviously, as you know, we're a, a member of the Dynasty Network, so uh, we um, we take um, advantage of uh, their fantastic social media team over there. We don't have anyone really here dedicated. To social media, uh, a number of you know willing volunteers, but that's all enabled by um, uh, the team over there at Dynasty, um, the custodians. Obviously, my my old colleagues at Fidelity, but uh, you know Pershing, uh, you know remains uh, our probably larger you know custodian. Uh, a lot of resources at the custodians. Uh, we've had Fidelity do a number of tech consulting engagements uh, with us. Um, and uh, I think uh, it's really just knowing kind of who to bring in. And it's, it's interesting, the dynamic, even though they're consultants, you know, they join calls and, and they really start to kind of feel uh, and operate uh, like, like, you know, de facto members of the team. So, and I found that bringing in one consultant to work with my team is really kind of one plus one equals three uh, in what we're able to get done. So, um uh, you know, I think it's 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 lonely in as much as the buck stops here. And you know, I'm not only the the COO, but I'm the the CCO, which is an even lonelier job. Yeah. But um, uh, you know, there's as you know, uh, there is an ample amount of you know highly skilled professional um, individuals out there that uh, you know you can hire on an hourly basis to really help uh, accelerate your program. 
Perfect. And uh, Stacey, I know you have a few peer groups that you're a member of, and then you mentioned traction, but I know you've, you've looked at some other sources for inspiration and strategies that you've incorporated. Uh, so tell, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I would, I would say that one of the number one ways that I am not lonely as a COO is really leaning on other COOs. So I probably have a call once a month with firms from across the U.S. and we share ideas and what are you doing here? How are you leveraging technology here? How do you think about your team and growth? And, you know, when's the right time to hire in the executive suite? We have these types of conversations and we basically leverage each other's strengths and experience. And I think that one of my favorite pieces of being in this industry is actually how open fellow COOs are to brainstorming. So I'd encourage anyone to join any study groups that you can find that have to do with you know, managing and running the firm. Um, I read a lot of books. I think that there's a lot out there that can be inspiring. And even if you get a nugget or an idea from a book um, and you can implement it, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Traction was one. I also think the book Five Dysfunctions of a Team, which just talks really about Okay, how do you look out for red flags that could be happening within your culture? And then I just read last week another book called The Culture Code, and it was fantastic. It was really talking about kind of what actually Tom mentioned about Jack having the lunch dates with his team, just the value of leadership, spending time with their people. And I thought that was really great as well. And then finally, um, really lean heavily on consultants. I think just as Tom said, our Schwab and Fidelity relationship managers are phenomenal. I'm so impressed by their knowledge and their ability to help. And they just seem to be really an extension of our team. Um, We've also uh, worked with Angie Herbers and Jared Upton of Herbers & Co. We've worked with Christian Smith on RA Oasis. We've worked with a few other um, compliance consultants. I just feel like the few thousand dollars potentially a month or, you know, maybe a bigger ticket project a year that we spend working with consultants. There's just nothing that can be, I'm saving that much money in potential mistakes for sure. So I just am a big believer in leaning on the professionals around us to help us better companies, better our firm. Perfect. Uh, So I got one last question for you guys. One of the goals that we've talked about a lot on this podcast is to elevate the role of the COO in the collective mind of the of the RIA industry uh, to be seen more, uh, much more than just the quote tech guy or the quote tech girl. Um, but at the same time, I've talked to both of you individually about this. Uh, a key personality trait of a successful COO is you need to be humble enough to stay in the shadows of the advisors and the owners of the RIA. Um, I've also compared the, I've often compared the COO to an offensive lineman on a football team. The, uh, the, the quarterback, the running back, the wide receivers, they're going to grab the headlines, but without a top notch offensive line, uh, blocking for them, it's going to be hard pressed for them to be successful at their jobs. Um, so Tom, how do you see your role as the COO and how you fit into the overall organization? Well, first of all, you, you know, Matt, as you and I discussed it, I'm, I am, 110% for ensuring that COOs, you know, get the recognition for, yeah. um, you know, keeping the lights on every day. And, you know, they, before we started the call, Stacey and I were chatting, it's just about the myriad of, of, um, you know, responsibilities and challenges and questions that, 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 you know, the COO is posed with in, in any one given, you know, 12 hour stretch. So, um, but but it is important, right? This and you know, um, Stacy's focusing on the people and developing and realizing that it's each and every one of those individuals, um, you know, getting the job done and getting a job right that really matters. And so, you know, for me, uh, you know, and and, and my uh, managing partners, you know, know this that my number one mission here is to is to build, you know, help ensure that this. Uh, that so much real advisors is built on a sound foundation uh, and has individuals in place to, uh, you know, to last, you know, the next 10, 20 years, right? I'm not going to be here forever. And so the moment I got here, I, I've been thinking about building this out, um, uh, you know, as a legacy. Um, so, um, you know, again, it is important. And I think, you know, people like Jack Peterson who had the COO role for six months, I kind of, you know, know and appreciate it, but, I think many advisors um, who haven't had to kind of step in and deal with the, the myriad of questions 
um, you know, may still kind of underestimate that's just how important it is to have someone, um, you know, with all those vendor relationships with, uh, with, with the, the eye towards the efficiencies and, and the staff development so that, you know, so the others can continue to just, you know, do, do what they do best and do what got them, you know, to where they are today, which is advising, you know, clients. Perfect. And Stacy, you, you, I've got the football analogy, but you have some great analogies here on the, the role of the COO and, and its place within the, the C-suite. Can you share those with us? Oh, yeah, sure. And maybe just as a starting point, I think one of the things that's really important as, about being a COO is really being able to implement and integrate your firm. So one of the things when you read Traction, it's going to talk about how you have the CEO as a visionary um, and you have the COO as the integrator and allowing the CEO, in my case, I have two amazing co-CEOs that really can set the vision for the firm and help us move forward and grow. And they're very inspirational and everyone can look to them for where we're going as a company. But then in so many ways, my role is to integrate that vision into what actually happens in the day to day. So I talk about an analogy of our of a firm, our advisory firm, kind of being like a play on the stage. You have your advisors or the actors that are, and they're not really acting, but they're out on the stage and they're with the clients, they're defining their values, their goals, they're setting the strategy. But then equally important, you have sound and lighting and staging and makeup, and all of these things have to work together and cohesively in the best interest of the client. So while as a COO, I'm not necessarily the writer and the designer of the play, in so many ways I'm the director of the play. I'm saying, how do all of these teams work together in the best interest of our clients and really can be successful, not only in their own division with the individuals, but then how they work together as a team. So that's where I, where I spend, I would say, the majority of my day is really just making sure that we have that cohesion between all of the different teams. Perfect. Well, I can't thank you both enough for sharing your insights with everybody today. Uh, you both are doing such amazing work at your respective firms. Uh, both of your firms are growing aggressively. They're multifaceted organizations. So thank you both so much for sharing your stories today. That's a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Uh, so podcast listeners, as I said at the beginning of the, uh, of the interview here, if you have ideas for topics and or guests, feel free to reach out with those. Um, we're recording this episode in March. I'm excited to say that we have interviews mapped out for the remainder of 2019 uh, already on the books. So I'm very excited for what is to come. Uh, you can subscribe uh, iTunes or Google Play. Um, new, uh, new episodes are also obviously available on our website. And uh, just last week, uh, the publication Iris has started publishing our podcast there as well. So you can pick up new episodes there. Uh, thank you for listening. And we will speak to everybody soon.